Please remain standing for the reading of our text uh, this morning. It's found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, verses 39 through 46. This is what God says. And he came out and proceeded, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples also followed him. And when he arrived at the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if thou art willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but thine be done. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping from sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation." May the Lord add his blessing to this reading of his word. You may be seated. There was nothing he couldn't do. I'm talking about uh, G. Gordon Liddy, the anti-hero of the Watergate bugging scandal that took place back in 1972 and eventually led to the resignation of Richard Nixon as President of the United States. Liddy was the only one of the bugging team who never talked. And as a result, he received the harshest sentence, 21 years in federal prison. While we can't approve of the things that he did, we may still at least have a grudging admiration for the depth of his convictions and his incredible strength of character. His autobiography is entitled appropriately, Will. In his original proposal to the publisher, he said, I became what I wanted to be. There was nothing he couldn't do. Stuart Alsop, a political commentator at the time, said this about Liddy. Curiously enough, in another time, G. Gordon Liddy would have been regarded as among the bravest and the best. In all secret services, it has to be assumed that any captured agent can in time be broken. But there were a few, a very few, captured OSS agents who remained unbreakable and they were regarded as true heroes. In the case of the Watergate bugging team, the stubbornly silent G. Gordon Liddy seems to be the only operative to fall into this category. In wartime, G. Gordon Liddy would have been festooned with decorations rather than slapped in jail. There was nothing he couldn't do. Wouldn't you love to have the kind of willpower that G. Gordon Liddy had? Just think 
how successful you could be, how famous you could be, how slim you could be. Wouldn't you love to have the kind of willpower that G. Gordon Liddy had? Just think how much you could please God. Are you thinking? Well, don't think too long. Because the kind of willpower that G. Gordon Liddy had cannot help you to please God. Far from it. Actually, do you know that we all do have the kind of willpower that G. Gordon Liddy had, really. We prove it every year when we make New Year's resolutions. This year, I'm going to lose 25 pounds. I'm going to eat healthy. I'm going to exercise regularly. This year, I'm going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to read through the whole Bible. This year, I'm going to quit using credit cards. I'm going to get out of debt. That's what we say on January 1st. But by February 1st, most of us are back to ordering double cheeseburgers with bacon and biggie-sizing our french fries. We're back to neglecting our Bible reading and spending more time binge-watching television. And we're back to our normal spending habits. After, after all, we're Americans. We know that the more we spend, the more we save, right? You see, we do what we really want to do. We become what we really want to become. At a strictly human level, we all become exactly what we want to be, just like G. Gordon Liddy. We may want to become different things, but we all become exactly what we want to be. This is what we call the bondage of sin. We all do and we all become exactly what we want to be according to our fallen human nature. This is the way the Apostle Paul puts it in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Our basic problem as fallen human beings is not that we don't have the willpower to become what we want to be. It's that we lack the want power to become what God wants us to be. It's not human willpower, but divine won't power we need to please God. I said at the beginning there was nothing G. Gordon Liddy couldn't do. That was wrong. 
there was something that G. Gordon Liddy couldn't do. He couldn't please God. He could only do what he wanted to do according to his fallen human nature. And fallen human nature never wills to please God. Again, listen to the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8, verses 7 and 8. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. It's not human willpower, but divine won't power that we need to please God. This is something that Jesus both modeled and taught during his ministry here on earth. First of all, Jesus modeled won't power. Look back at the beginning of Jesus' ministry that we find in Luke uh, chapter 4. Immediately after Jesus was baptized by John, we are told that he was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And it tells us that Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days without any food when the devil first came to him. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, I won't. Because it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. In other words, the provision of God was sufficient for him. And then the devil offered him something that God the Father had already promised him, but without having to endure the suffering of the cross. And the devil led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall all be yours. And Jesus answered him and said, I won't. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. In other words, the promises of God were sufficient for him. And then finally, the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, I won't. It is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. In other words, he didn't have to prove that God was with him 
the invisible presence of God was sufficient for him. At the conclusion of these three temptations, the text tells us that the devil departed him for an opportune time. And that opportune time comes in the text that we read this morning in Luke chapter 2, in the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives. And we know that by this time, the devil had entered Judas, and Judas had actually left the twelve and Jesus to go and report to those who were going to arrest Jesus where he was going. Jesus knew by now that his time to lay down his life for the sins of his people had come. And we cannot begin to imagine the horror that Jesus must have felt at what he was about to do. And I say what he was about to do because you'll notice that even before Judas returns to arrest Jesus with his cohorts, that Jesus has already placed himself in the place that he knew would lead to his arrest and all of the rest that would follow that. Again, we just can't even begin to imagine what Jesus was feeling at what he was about to do. The text makes it clear that he was almost overwhelmed with sorrow and agony. And it wasn't the physical pain and suffering on the cross that were so bad. Jesus was no coward. But it was the idea of bearing the sins of all of God's people and suffering the wrath of God for our sins. What Jesus was about to go through was graphically described in the Old Testament reading that we heard this morning from Isaiah 53. The innocent, sinless Lamb of God was about to endure the agonies of hell for our sake. Total abandonment by God for our sake. I think it's significant that in verse 44, Luke uses a word for agony, describing the agony that Jesus was going through only here in the New Testament. Because the agony that Jesus was going through was a one-of-a-kind agony that, as I've already said, is almost impossible for us to comprehend. To bear the sins of all of God's people 
to endure total abandonment by God for our sakes. And the physical, emotional, and spiritual strain that Jesus was going through was so intense that Luke, who was a physician, tells us that he actually sweat drops of blood. The strain was so intense that his capillaries burst and combined with his sweat, leading to a condition known as hematidrosis. And yet, through all of this struggle with temptation that Jesus was going through, he never wavered from his desire to please God. And you'll notice that while he prayed that the cup would be removed if possible, and the cup in the Old Testament was associated with suffering and enduring the wrath of God, through all of that, he never wavered from doing God's will. Father, if thou art willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but thine be done. From the beginning of his ministry to the end of his ministry, Jesus modeled divine won't power. He said no to self and yes to God. What a difference between the Son of God and the devil. In Isaiah chapter 14, uh, verses 13 and 14, we are given a description of the devil's desires. You said, referring to the devil, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of his sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. The very opposite of all of Jesus's I won'ts. It's not human willpower, but divine won't power we need to please God. And Jesus modeled this from the beginning to the end of his earthly ministry. Secondly, this was something that Jesus taught as well, the necessity of self-denial in order to please God. We can't say yes to God until we say no to self. In Luke chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, it says that Jesus said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. We can't say yes to God until we say no to self. It's not human willpower, but divine won't power 
we need to please God. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus exhorted his disciples to pray that they not enter into temptation. When we pray, we acknowledge the inability of our human will to please God. And we acknowledge our need for divine won't power. Self-denial is a necessity to please God. But we need to consider what kind of self-denial this is because there are a number of different kinds of self-denial. There's the self-denial that's practiced by an athlete. An athlete will deny himself many, many things in order to improve their performance. But notice that the athlete denies himself in one area only to please and exalt himself in another area. And there is the kind of self-denial that's practiced by people with a poor self-image. Someone who is overweight might starve himself to conform to whatever the ideal slimness is in our society today. But why does a person like that deny themselves their food? They deny themselves in one area only to please and exalt themselves in another. And then there's the self-denial that's practiced by religious ascetics, the Pharisees being a good example. The Pharisees, in fact, didn't think the Bible had enough thou shalt nots. They invented a couple thousand more. Nobody was going to out-self-deny themselves than the Pharisees. But why do religious ascetics deny themselves? They only deny themselves to draw attention to how worthy they are. They deny themselves in one area only to exalt and please themselves in another. This is not the kind of self-denial that is pleasing to God. The kind of self-denial that is pleasing to God is the kind that says no to self and yes to God. It's the kind of self-denial practiced by someone who will give up sleep in order to spend more time in Bible study and prayer. It's the kind of self-denial that's practiced by someone who will give up being popular in order to be faithful to God. It's the kind of self-denial that is practiced by someone who gives up their own entertainment and amusements in order to minister to other people in Jesus' name. It's the kind of self-denial that denies the pleasures of the flesh in order to be obedient to God. This is what G. Gordon Liddy 
couldn't do. He couldn't deny himself in order to please God. This is what we call the bondage of sin. We all become exactly what we want to be according to our fallen human nature. And it's only those to whom God has granted repentance towards God and faith in Jesus Christ who can finally give up becoming what they want to be and become what God wants them to be because they and they alone have been freed from their bondage to sin. Listen to the way the Apostle Paul puts it in Romans chapter 6. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. This is what G. Gordon Liddy found out for himself. It took him quite a while to exercise repentance towards God and faith in Jesus Christ, but he finally did. He was finally released from federal prison only five years after he had been sentenced because the sentence was commuted by President Jimmy Carter. While he was in prison, he was visited regularly by Chuck Colson, uh, the founder of Prison Fellowship. And Chuck Colson shared the gospel with G. Gordon Liddy many times, to no avail. At one of his visits, he asked G. Gordon Liddy, Gordon, have you seen the light yet? And Liddy flippantly responded, Chuck, I'm not even looking for the light switch. But after he was released from prison, he fell in with some old friends of his that used to work at the FBI, who were believers, and they invited him to a Bible study, and he agreed to come as long as they wouldn't try to convert him. They didn't, but God did. Through that Bible study, G. Gordon Liddy came to understand that Jesus Christ was who he claimed to be. He was the Son of God. He was our Savior from sin. And he finally exercised repentance towards God and faith in Jesus Christ. G. Gordon Liddy died a little over a year ago. But he died a free man. He was no longer someone 
trying to become who he wanted to be. He had been freed to become who God wanted him to be. This is what he said about his conversion. Now the hardest thing I have to do every single day is try to decide what is God's will rather than what is my will. What does Jesus want, not what does Gordon want? And so the prayer I say most frequently is, God, first of all, please tell me what you want. And second, give me the strength to do what I know you want, what your will is, rather than my own. I have an almost 57-year history of doing what I want, what my will wants, and I have to break out of that habit into trying to do the will of God. And that, my friends, is the glory of God. He graciously grants repentance towards God and faith in Jesus Christ to those who have no human ability to please God. He frees us from our bondage of sin so that we can finally say no to self and say yes to God. It's not easy. It wasn't easy for Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. How many of you noticed that it says in that text that an angel from heaven was sent to strengthen him? Think about it. That boggles my mind. A created being was sent to strengthen the creator of the world in his humanity. No wonder that Jesus told his disciples to pray that they not enter into temptation. Because if even the Son of God needed to be strengthened in his struggle with temptation, how much more you and me as we struggle with temptation. But we also have the assurance that just as help was sent from heaven to Jesus, it will be sent from heaven to us as well. In just about a week now, we're going to be celebrating our independence, our freedom from political tyranny. But Christians, we can celebrate every day our freedom from the tyranny and bondage of sin because by the grace of God, we have been granted repentance towards God and faith in Jesus Christ so that we might be able to say no to self and yes to God. It's not human willpower, but divine won't power we need to please God. And thank God he's given it to us. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, throughout this service, we have been reminded time and time again 
that it's not our works, but yours. Father, all of us know how weak and helpless we are, how needy we are, how often we fail. And yet, Father, just as King David was forgiven his sins, so, Father, you promise to forgive ours as we confess them. We thank you that our salvation is in your hands and not in ours. And we thank you for the promises that we have in Scripture that you will hold on to all who are yours. Father, we love you, but we confess we love you only because you first loved us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.